Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 253. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. How are I, you doing, Merrow? From A1, I'm, I'm boosted up and I got the flu jab. So I'm a bit exhausted actually. Excellent, excellent. I'm delighted you got your booster. That's you protected against 5G now for another 12 months. Yeah, woohoo! Yeah, yeah. I think, it's, it, I think it's important, right? Whoever's listening to us out here who is cynical of our government's handling of the situation for the last 22 months or whatever it may be, because they have been inept, they have been late in decision-making, they have been, you know, brutal with primary schools this time around in this wave, they were brutal with nursing homes. However, still get the booster. Don't, yes. don't, don't, don't allow the government's... Uh, inability to get us through this make you cloud your judgment on the virus the virus is still at large it's still dangerous just get boosted don't be like oh i was told you know stephen donnelly did say at one point this is the boot or the the vaccine back in march and april was the silver bullet that was the, the worst thing he could have said because then people yeah. are going and protect particularly cynical people i don't know firstly just to say, I don't know why people are cynical over a vaccine. Um, so, you know, I'll get that off my chest. But don't allow, don't allow your judgment to be clouded because of the government's ridiculous, uh, contradictory restrictions all the time. Just do what you have to do and, and still maintain and still believe, you know, we are in a pandemic here. And we're likely going to have, I've got the flu jab since I was 18 every year. And the reason why we get the flu jab every year is because there's different variants of the flu every year. So don't be so cynical. Oh, there's, there's another variant. There's another variant. That's what happens with airborne viral diseases. What, what baffles me here is... So we are likely to be given a booster every year. So what? It takes five this, minutes. This, this thing is still only two years old. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget that. Let's just, you know, most diseases we deal with and most flus and everything else we deal with you know they're, they're around long enough that we know so much about them that we know we like you said about the flu and the booster yeah a yearly blue booster because you know there are four main types of variant you don't know which one is going to crop up each year yeah. so you get a booster shot and that protects against the four main types of flu seasonal flu that go around yeah this COVID thing is around two years, lads. Of course, there's going to be variants. Of course, it's going to mutate. That's how things work. I'm not a scientist. But at the same time, you, you don't have to be to kind of just use a bit of common sense here. Mm. And anybody who thinks that this is some grand plan and some fucking... Uh, oh, you really, like, do you really... You, you can't get three political parties in Ireland to agree on the day of the week. Do you really think they're going to have some masterminded plan to, like, somehow or another control everyone cop on yeah i mean look i don't know I, i'm disappointed in, there's a huge number of people that i've seen in recent days and weeks um a lot of them are involved in the fitness industry i'll say that much and they're they're, they're taking this stance of just ridiculous anti-vax thing and it seems like they were anti-lockdown first which Look, I get it. Your business is affected, and I get it. Nobody wanted to do the whole two kilometer, five kilometer, and all that crap. None of us enjoyed it. None of us want it. But to to turn against science and to turn against a vaccine because you're fed up. Come on, like yeah, absolutely. If if you're fit and healthy, amazing and brilliant. 
but it's not just about you, is it? No. You know, and if you if you can look at the old woman in front of you in Dunes or in Tesco or whatever, and and you can look at her and say, you know what, I'm all right with her not being at our dinner table this Christmas if I get to go to Marbella in three weeks, then you're a prick and you'll always be a prick. That's it. That's it. Um. Yeah, so we get that off our chest anyway. Well done, yeah, get get your booster, lads, and just you know watch out for one another. Wear your mask, and you know, look, it if eventually everything will work out, and eventually everything will be all right. But this is only two years old, and yeah, two years feels like a long time right now. But in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to diseases and infectious diseases and all that shit, two years is a fucking drop from your Mickey. It's nothing. Exactly. Hopefully, we'll be in. Hopefully, in twenty twenty two, we will see some form of endemic, because they are creating treatments uh, for COVID, which is an absolutely brilliant sign as well. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll leave that there. We'll park that there for the next time. Um, Well, all I'll say on that is we do have a podcast episode coming up about that conspiracy theorist mentality and lads. It is going to be fucking. Genuinely, genuinely, I'm looking forward to it. Because well, Danny, as well, I wanted to remind you actually mm. privately, but I might as well remind you now since we have a top, we're discussing it. Channel yeah. four next Tuesday, uh, nine o'clock. It's it's exploring QAnon and the conspiracy theory. So it'll be a good watch on the back of then listening to us the week later. It's it's very fit. We will be yeah. talking to somebody who knows quite a lot about QAnon for various reasons. And I'm saying no more because we never we never like to give too much and just in case things don't happen for one reason or the other. But yes, that, that's look, we'll park it there. Watch that documentary. Have a little read into QAnon. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Don't go down the rabbit hole, but just... Don't go down the rabbit hole. If somebody is giving you a, a WhatsApp and it says read about the Great Replacement or the Great Reset, don't watch it. It's nonsense. Anyway, Dan... Who, anyway, yeah. um, got, just a disclaimer about the <laughs> Jesus Christ. The interview this week, um, it's about rugby. So yes. I probably uh, will take a, a, a seat in the back. All right. So who have we got this week, Danny? We have Leinster legend, Ireland legend, Lions legend, even lined out for the Barbarians at one point in his career. He has won the Grand Slam. He's won. Six Nations without the Grand Slam. He's won the European Cup. He's won the Challenge Cup, league titles. He he has had a glittering career and is one of the greatest Irish centres to have ever laced up a pair of boots. The wonderful and a brilliant Gordon Darcy. Now we have former Irish international and now um, award-winning author, um, Gordon Darcy. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'd say we'd probably have to uh, recalibrate that introduction. I think former, I think once you're finished more than five years, you kind of have to, you, you kind of almost have to extend the uh, the, the former bits. It, it kind of goes, a guy who used to play rugby and uh, <laughs> and, and very much a co-author. But, uh, oh, but uh, yeah. thanks very much, very, very much. Uh, yeah, yeah. We just have Co-authoring to with Paul Howard. It's It's the hype show here, Gordon, you know what I mean? That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, well, there's this hype, and then there's um, there's there's pure fantasy. 
you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. Like, yeah, you retired a few years, Gordon, but it was a, it was a hell no, of a career, no, you know? It's, it, it's, it was more, uh, Paul's very, he's a diva, so I just wanted to get that on the record. But that is, it is. That is very true. We will definitely hear from him if we, if we happen to, don't, if, we, if we don't give him the credit that he feels he deserves, we'll be hearing from him. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, but Gordon's game, the third installment, uh, came out earlier this year. What made you want to do it as a children's book? Um, you know, there was there was no real drive for anything. Um, you know, I I suppose I, I like to think of I've kind of a, um, somewhat of a creative uh, streak or mind or, or something. And you know, I, I do write in the Irish Times. And yeah. um, my sister was out for a walk with me and my two kids at the time. And my family get great uh, fun about the quite for the, the the volume and the variety of the stupid stuff I've done in my um, young and adult life. And she was kind of laughing and saying, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to do a children's book with all the kind of daft stuff you've done and you still did, did quite well out of it. <laughs> and I kind of like, it kind of germinated in my head for a little while. And it kind of was like, actually there could be something in this because she, while she is very true, a lot of the stuff I've done has been quite silly. There's also been an awful lot of life lessons that I've kind of learned that are irrelevant to your age. They're, you know, 12 year olds have the same experiences that 18, 25, 40, 50 year olds have. They just come in different guises. Um, and I kind of just said, well, you know, there's something in this. And I, I, I could only bring it so far, so then I rang. All and uh, it went straight to voicemail. Um, so he's obviously screening the screening the calls. <laughs> and uh, I said, "Listen, I told you about a, I you about a book." Paul needed an engineer to, to show him how to use WhatsApp. So don't mind. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I I can I can I can I can well I can well believe that. But uh, I just said, "Listen, Paul, I want to talk to you about a book." I'd find it months later that he thought I was ringing him about an autobiography. And he was trying to figure out how he could get out of that. Um, so when we had the conversation, it was kind of obviously from his his starting gambit was I, w- I don't want to do this. So once I started talking about a kid's book and saying like, listen, this is what I'm saying, he got it straight away. And he said, okay, here's what we do. We're going to talk. We need to speak to Faith O'Grady, uh, who's his um, publicist uh, and uh she just we spoke to her and she just said okay this is love it i need something on paper uh so we 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 literally started there um and then penguin uh liked what they what they saw what they, and we we agreed to do three books amazing and all three are out now and it's kind of charted from it, it kind of followed your career a bit in terms of ireland then Lanstart, then lions is that right no it, it follows my career so the way we the way we, the way we um the way we base it is everything in the story is based on, at the very minimum, a grain of truth. So, um, yeah, the first book is about me playing for Ireland um, as, a, as, a, as a young kid um, and the trials and tribulations that come with that. And the uh, second book is about um, the Leinster and the evolution of my journey through Leinster and how that uh, overlapped with Leinsters moving from a team that had... You know, great potential but never really achieved anything to ultimately maybe succeeding and then the lions um i was just timely with the lions in uh, south africa this year um and you know uh, again a lot of the stuff in the lions you know if you write it in a 
autobiography, it's kind of meh. But when you write it through the lens of a you know a ten or a twelve year old, it becomes yeah, it becomes brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, when because we, we we talked to Paul on the podcast, and when he mentioned it, and when he kind of said it, we were like, that sounds exactly like the type of kid book I wish I had when I was a kid. Um, and adding in kind of your personal story to the mix thing gives it that little bit more. How much of kind of your, your career were you able to, I suppose, get across, but like in, in that vein of like, how much tweaking did you have to do to bring it more to like a kid's level? Um, and this is the part of kind of, I suppose, the embarrassing bit for me and then the, and then the skillful bit from Paul. Not that much from a story-wise, as in, you know, the dyeing my hair um blue and it running into my eyes in the middle of a game like that happens um but i suppose trying to explain the knock-on effect of getting too big for your boots um as being a professional group player and loving being a professional player without actually wanting to be do the hard work that had to be explained in a very considered way and i think that's where paul's skill and his ability to translate what was in my head onto paper became you know very very apparent and we had a really really good working relationship from um from uh an early stage like we've probably spent the first six months just dissecting my career and kind of going what's usable what's not and then we had the bones of the first book and then once we started putting flesh on it and you know a lot of it say the I suppose the way the way we the way we put the the, the framework together, it, it just it just seemed to it just seemed to work. We probably had one or two quite uh, we probably had one or two sticking points. Um, I, I'd love to call them an argument, but they weren't. They were just sticking points, and we really you know disappointingly um, found a, 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 an amicable solution. So. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we really did work really, really well. Um, but I think what we, I think uh, probably from the from a very early time, we, we respected each other's, um, um, I suppose, their skill sets. Um, and then Rachel Pierce is the editor. And she was, again, was, a, you know, a, a, a third a third set of eyes and things. So she kind of became the adjudicator. So, it, you know, it, 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 it really was, it was really, it was really good. But come back to what you were saying, is like how you get these these really complex points um onto paper and explained in a in a not even complex but you get them explained on paper um so that a young kid can realize that and go oh my goodness that's a is that an international players and and they're feeling the same way i am i am about disappointment or frustration or anger or whatever that might be the emotions that they might be going through uh, that you know paul was just he was fantastic yeah and is 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 it kind of is it just a coincidence in as well because I think I remember reading a while ago is it, is it the same sister you were talking about that you and her have a kind of uh, like a, a, a speech and language thing for kids as well a project yes it's my it's my it's my, it's my older sister Shona yeah so we're we're working um, we're using um, technology we're trying to bring technology to uh, speech and language therapy so it's um, it's just a it's a uh, it's a area we're very very passionate about yeah absolutely and it's just it's you know what kids books and in that as well and then like my my partner works uh she she teaches childcare and that kind of thing and she's always harping on it every time i hear her doing a lecture it's always about kind of 
routine and development and you know get them reading books early get them into the habit and all that kind of thing so it's uh it, it, it was mad when I kind of heard that as well. I was like, I wonder, is there a connection between the two or were they just kind of a bit of coincidence? Like, um, do you know, I think it's it's more of a case of having kids. And my, so my sister, she did her um, PhD in uh, speech recognition probably like 15 years ago. Um, you know, she's invariably the smartest person in a room, no matter what room you, you, you walk into. Um, so she was watching my brother and I kind of, um flap around our kids and going oh you know are they on track for their age or you know have, is, is is everything okay for them and she just kind of went you know and she'd worked for like she'd worked in research in trinity she'd worked for um a couple of uh medical tech uh companies doing uh clinical studies and designing protocols and stuff and she kind of just went well actually there's potentially something here with um, her speech, the speech recognition, speech recognition background that she had, and children's uh, speech development, and there was nothing really in the in in there to uh, to to help really. So she kind of went, okay, this could be interesting. Um, yeah. And as I was a parent that's gone through the, um, I'm going through it three times with three kids. Um, it's definitely something that's uh, that's interesting. How how's fatherhood going for you, uh, especially in kind of the COVID world and everything else? Oh, well, we have a, we got a second dog in January of 2020. Now, our dogs are a combined weight of about 105 to 110 kgs. Uh, they are a Leon burger. That's Albert. He is, it's, well, he was weighed yesterday, 70 kgs. And then, <laughs> what um, an animal. <laughs> and then there's Barney, who's a Bernadoodle. So Bernie's crossed with a poodle, and he's about four, 35 to 40 kgs. So yeah, there's a fair bit of dog rummaging around our house. Absolutely, yeah. So we had uh, about two months into lockdown, <laughs> my wife informed me that we were having a third child. <laughs> so we had uh, we had Baby Meadow in uh, at the just in November last year. So we had a full, we had a full, we had a full lockdown, babies. Yeah. So our house is um, full. It's uh, it's it's yeah, it's busy. It's messy. It's carnage. It's um, <laughs> everything you would expect um, to have with three kids and two ponies running around it. <laughs> I was gonna say they're not dogs. They're ponies. Yeah. They're yeah. 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 Which is like, you know, it's kind of adorable, but like, you obviously never trust, you never openly trust a dog. So it's like, oh, that's great. And everything's you decide, you have to keep. And with kids, you tell them they can't do something. What do they want to do? Absolutely. Do it again. Yeah, the dog. I'm, I'm, I'm a long time since I've been described as a child, and uh, I still do everything I'm told not to do, uh, <laughs> in, including trying to saddle up the dog around the living room. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus, that's too. Big, big dogs you've got there. How much walking and everything do I need? To be honest, not a huge man. So Albert is seven. So he's a, he's like, a, he would have his like a free bus pass now if, uh, <laughs> if he was a, if he was, if he was a person. Um, so he takes me and him take a, take an amble around the corner once a day. Uh, Barney is pretty much everything that you would expect a Bernadoodle to be. He's the exact opposite of it. <laughs> I am convinced there's like a greyhound or some like a beagle or something in there. I have never seen a dog run so much. Really? It, he is so high energy. It is breathtaking. 
Yeah. <laughs> just, just what you want. You have three young kids as well, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, our kids are, our, our three kids are fairly, um, they would be in the same vein. Um, if you had a television on or an open door, you wouldn't see them for dust. They are <laughs> gas crack. <laughs> So I mean, it, it sounds as though kind of well, you've, you've you've got your hands full. So I mean, retirement obviously uh, not a bother for you. Then you do you miss the game at all? I know we're still writing about it with Irish Times and whatever, but do you, do you miss it or are you just too busy to miss it? Um, do you know, I I, I don't miss it um, mainly because the reason I finished was because I couldn't play it anymore. <laughs> um, I was too old. I was too slow. I was too you know. I just just. The game had just game had just moved on, and I wasn't at that uh, at that at that place anymore. Like my last game was kind of the audition for the 2015 World Cup. I got, and this is no disrespect to uh, tight head props, um, but I caught I got caught from behind by a tight head prop in that game, and I, I was just like, right, I'm done here. So I didn't get my, if I got picked for the World Cup, I would have gladly gone and not played. Um, But I I didn't get, I didn't get picked. So, you know, it was, it was fine. I knew myself, I was, I was probably six months in the game too long. And that was just unfortunate in the game and the World Cup game too late for me. Um, But when I've finished, I think, like I look at, the ups and the downs. Now, not to get too ex- existential on the on the whole thing, but just in a, in a, I'll try and be as, as brief as I can. I had lots and lots of ups and lots and lots of downs in my career, and I loved both of them equally because I enjoyed the highs because of the lows, and the lows helped me get to the highs and all that kind of uh, all that all the uh, all the usual sentiment that kind of that, that that goes with that. But when I finished, I I I. I Kind of, I largely shook hands with the game and just said thank you very much for it. Uh, it gave me loads and loads. It gave me loads of injuries. <laughs> it gave me, uh, you know, things like that to, to to walk away with, as well as all the brilliant memories. But I, I, when I when I when I, when I finished, I yeah, just I genuinely finished in a good place. And when I see, so I was at the uh, Ireland versus the All Blacks, and this would have happened like so. I did commentary for the World Cup. Uh, almost straight after I, so I didn't get picked. So I, I actually did some commentary for the World Cup. I not immediately during the World Cup. I wasn't a fan. I was a guy going, well, I could be there. But the Six Nations that followed, I was um, I was a fan of, a fan at that point. I wasn't missing the rush of the games. I wasn't missing missing the rush of the changing rooms um, because I'd had all those moments. So I was in Lons in '99 when we got knocked out of the Rugby World Cup by Argentina. Yeah. Um. You know, I was there when I didn't get picked for the 2003 World Cup, but I was there when we won. We beat England for the first time in God knows how long in Twickenham after the 2004 World Cup, and and on and on. You know, Crow Park, the Grand Slam. I, I, those moments were my moments, and I can try. I can tell you the. You know who was in the change room. What I did, you know, myself and Malcolm O'Kelly sitting in ice baths after a, a, a game, drinking cans of Guinness. I, the smell in the change room, the deep heat, all those things. Willie Bennett, like uh, these guys, they're so vivid, and, and I'm so I, I enjoy them so much that when I look at 
Harry Byrne playing now and, uh, you know, coming on in his first international or, you know, coming in off the, against Argentina there, I don't want to be in the change room with him. Because hmm. uh, it's just like, that's, that's your, they're your moments that you're creating with, with, with your guys. They're unique to that group. Um, whereas mine were unique to, to, to my group. And, and that gives me a good, you know, and I've been kind of sanguine with that for, for, for a long time now. That's, good. That's kind of good, like um, closure, so to speak, because you, you do listen to many um, former sports stars in, in team sports where they have kind of, they have not kind of accepted their retirement. They have not kind of accepted. You said, like, you know, you probably went six months on too, too much. Like, um, so that is, that's kind of admirable, isn't it? Like, that, that, that you kind There's of said, an awful lot of people. Look, there's an awful lot of people who feel the game owes them something. Like the game of a professional sport, professional sport is non-discriminatory. It will take, you may not like it, but it will tell you when you are done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a cold hard fact and you are an appreciating asset on your way up and you're a depreciating asset on your way down. And, uh, you know, because of the trials and tribulations I'd had in my career, I was quite aware of that. But also, like, say, when I broke my arm in 2008, I was 28 and spent a year on the sideline and, you know, three operations and the last operation, the surgeon tells me, if this doesn't work, we won't operate on you again. And you, there may be complications with this because we're doing them so close together. I, you know, at 29, I come back to play. I had, like, everything to lose, but then everything to gain. And I had such an appreciation for every game or every year, every season I played after that. Um, but the game, it, it, it owes you, it owes you nothing. Um, and I think it's like you've a kind of a, a moral prerogative to prepare for the end of rugby or the end of sport as much as you do for the actual way you prepare for sport, because it's going to end. That's a like it's you know death and taxes. It's it's in there. You will not play. Yeah professional sport I think well unless you're Tom Brady and he seems to be doing his damnedest to um, <laughs> to uh, to uh, stretch that uh, stretch that li- that limitation or oh, geez or Johnny Sexton um, so you just like you just need to like and and I do feel sorry for those guys that that don't finish in a in, in a good place um, but finishing sport and I won't um, gloss over that finishing sport is not easy so do you no think how, with it- with Johnny Sexton, like, is he, is he, is he, is he having those conversations with himself? Because he is quite old, like. Uh, well, like, age is a number, and I think it affects people in different positions. Like, you got to remember, like, in positionally for me, it's all about speed of foot and evasion where I was playing, and the ability to uh, get over the gain line. And once that was reduced, even by you know half a step, you no longer become viable. And somebody younger, like Robbie Henshaw. Like, so <laughs> I remember my last season. So just, so not six months too long, probably seven, eight months. And we're in training camp and Robbie Henshaw's there. And the previous training camp we were in, I was kind of confident enough that I was there. I w- I w- I'd be able to stay, you know, a nose ahead of him. And in that camp, I realized the gap closed. And I was like, oh, the gap hasn't closed. <laughs> he's gone ahead. So I was effectively training my, because, you know, because he's always there going, oh, you know, why did you do that? Why did you do that? You're just, you're giving that kind of institutional transition of knowledge. 
and you're giving in and you're saying, oh, you know, this is why you do that, this is why you do that. He said, oh, okay, okay. So you're effectively training the person who's going to take your, take your place, you know, which is, and it's only at, when, it, when it happens, you kind of go, ah, oh, yeah, that's happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So nobody has been able to do that to Johnny. So why wouldn't you keep going? Yeah, it's, it's mad because like, even though you're, you're saying about kind of like the, the, the younger guys come through and, and you, you see the game kind of evolving in front of you and you realise like this this has moved on now. But even like while you were playing, like I, I, one of the things that always stands out to me is the, the size of guys as kind of the professional era or whatever kind of moved on or whatever. And you kind of look at some of the centres that you were playing against and then you look at, say, 2014, um, you know, you, you won the Six Nations that year. Like, go up against guys like Matthew Bastero and like just the sheer bulk and power <laughs> of that guy. Like, yeah, but like you just you just played you play to your strengths. So you know, Brian and I would have had a very you know good, strong working relationship. So mm-hmm. we played our centre partnership magnified our strengths and reduced any perceived weaknesses. So like we had a very simple plan for. Uh, for Matthew, and that was one of us would hit him as hard as possible and, and hold on, and the other one would jump on and knock him off balance and he'd fall over. Like, and it kind of literally was as simple as that. It was like, if one of us goes high at him, he's going to speed bump you, he'll get knocked over. So one of us would just go in low, hit ankles, wherever it is, and knock him off balance. The other one would just kind of drag him to the ground. And like it worked reasonably effectively. So, but you are like the game. Like the game, everybody's got the game rewards. Sorry, up to up to recently has rewarded big strong people. And um, but like I was never a big strong person, so I played to my strengths. So what's my strengths? I can tackle around the ankles. I'll always give up yardage, but I'll get people down and I'll get back in the defensive line and I'll pick up extra points somewhere else in the defensive set and getting over the game line. I just happen to be reasonably good and quick-footed and controlling contact. Were there any players that you just hated playing against who just made your day miserable? Like, um, yeah, like like lots of lots of lots of players on you know one-off things. But like, I think there's a bit in your head that you don't really let that into you, um, like because you want to pit yourself against the best consistently and and always so i kind of would probably flip it on its head and go the people i enjoyed playing against the most were probably the highest caliber and you know um matthew Gitto was one you know guy i loved but hated playing against because his speed and his speed of thought was were just really really hard to defend against um the french center yannick sozion again just an incredible athlete that was there going I I I want to be, I want to be his peer, and then the guy who's like the best center I think that's ever played the game is Man Oni. So you know I probably played against him six or seven times, and every time I was going, I just said, you know, this I'm going to be judged against this guy, so I, I better I better I better leave. You know, I need to leave my mark. Absolutely, yeah, it's. Uh... It, yeah, I mean, when you're saying kind of man on you and, and, and Yannick Josian and all that, it's kind of <laughs> little, little blast from the past for, for our rugby fans. Like, it's um, it's it's a who's who of, of that era. Um, playing against the Southern Hemisphere teams, 
you always kind of hear that, like a, a lot of, you know, you hear pundits, you hear commentators, kind of, and they make it sound like it, it just it's just that little bit more important when you're playing against them. Is it, or is it the classic professional thing of you just approach every game as you do, like? Yeah. So just just on the actually the players you're talking about, kind of the who's who's of it there. Um, mm. I, I kind of straddled two kind of eras. One where it is the kind of the creative, you know, much more free flowing rugby into quite of a homogenized attack style rugby that, um, you know, players were pawns in a in, in a bigger piece. And I think the it was easier to play against players that were quite you know if you were a ball carrying twelve you're a ball carrying 12 and you're, you're only, your only thing is to get over the game line. It was easier to play against players like that. So actually, you know, you were able to kind of extend your career a little bit because you had a little bit of nous or a little bit of game mm-hmm. or game management or game thinking on, on, on the pitch. Players became a little bit like robots. But what the great thing about when players think about robots is they don't expect you to do the unexpected. So when you play with people like... Johnny and Brian and things like that, and you know, Luke Fitzgerald who's liable to do anything, Easton Asiwa, um, you actually, you know, you, your your size became less of an issue. Um, and whereas now, actually, up until this season, thankfully, uh, size was it was all about size, you know, yeah. um, and and, and, get, and getting over the game line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um. There's a bit of a. It feels like the the autumn series for Ireland this year kind of has maybe marked things as that that's the sign of improvement Irish fans are looking for. Um, how how do you rate our chances going towards Six Nations and on? Jeez, if that's not the uh, if that's not the uh, improvement that Irish fans were looking for, I'm not sure what they can what they can look for. Yeah. That was the um, the biggest surprise to everybody there was very little lead in to suggest that those three performances were there and I'm just so happy that they arrived because there's been an awful lot of talk about the the style that they were trying to adopt and I guess the deprogramming from that overly um, prescribed approach uh, which was very very successful and of its time has kind of finished now and you're kind of players are sticking their hands up and going um, they want to have a cut, and I, I think for me, the players they kind of ceded too much of their individuality to the game plan, and now they're having to rediscover that. It must take time. It's taken nineteen games for one to, for or, yeah, about nineteen games for them to rediscover it. But what was really encouraging was Gary Ringrose going into first receiver, and rather than just going, oh, I need to pass to a forward seeing a slight little mismatch and getting quick over the game line and doing that against the All Blacks was a great indication of, of, of how, they're, how they're going to go. I think we have to be very, very cognizant of the fact that we have four professional teams. We have a very, very small playing population and we have a very, very tough Six Nations on the horizon. We have a very, very tough uh, summer tour in New Zealand and I've been to New Zealand seven times and I've never won a game mm. it's a tough place to go they're going to be very they're going to be they will spend the next six months getting ready for three wins on the bench they want to they will want to humiliate Ireland so there's an awful lot of um, great things that have happened but as Shane Larry said you know <laughs> Every time you come down the hill, there's another Shane when he won the British Open. He's like, nobody teaches you how to come down the hill. I'll come down the mountain. Um, 
But I think Ireland know how to come down the mountain now and uh, the Six Nations in February. England, France away, like you just look how those guys played. Like, you know, we're going to have to effectively win our World Cup in the next six months to, uh, to, to, to stay on this level of performance. So it's huge. It's a huge challenge. And, you know, we just, you know, we need to, we, 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 will, we will need to continue that momentum uh, to, to, to go. But the future is really, really bright. I think we just need to see a few more players coming through. You'd love to see a definitive number two coming through that might be um might be a successor to johnny um the forwards look great um and you just yeah you know couple maybe one or two bolters would be nice to see absolutely do you, do you think has, has joey carberry got the taste to, to step up to, to replace johnny or are we kind of is he, i don't mean this in a disrespectful way but is it a kind of a stopgap until we find the next big thing no, like Joe, Joe Kirby's probably one of the most naturally gifted probably players I've ever seen um, on, a, on a pitch. I think he's just been hampered by injuries. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can take a bit of time to get, to get over that. Uh, I just wonder the way the game has evolved and the way we're going. Is 10 necessarily his, his best position? Could it be 15? Could it be 12? Um, he's a guy you want on the on the field with a shadow of a doubt. So he is would be very, very important to anything that Ireland does in the next uh, next you know you know next cycle of four or five years. You mentioned there we'll we'll have England away, France away. French rugby seems to be in rude health again. Um uh, people touting them very early as potential uh, World Cup winners. It's it's gonna be in France. Um but what do you make of what's going on over there? Well, they, they, just, they just simply have the 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 volume of numbers. So you've got to remember, like in like top fourteen, there's roughly you know twenty eight nines and tens playing every weekend. So they can afford to pick on form, and they have a coach that is facilitating a bit of rough structure around natural flair, which is incredibly difficult balance to. The way, but they're doing it very, very well at the moment. And Sean Edwards is playing a phenomenal role in their defence, which is I could not have seen Sean Edwards working in a French culture, but he has, and he's thriving, and and they are growing with him. So, um, you know, the 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 pressure is on Jalabert and Entomac and. You know, whoever else is the you know third or fourth cha- uh, choice ten to 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 force the to force the hand, but they're all playing in such high quality clubs. You, you you can't you can't see where the dip in form is coming from, um, and they happen to have the best nine in the world. Um, so it's as an, and then you just you just start slotting in pieces around them, and you're just kind of going. There's a lot to be a lot to be worried about with the French rugby at the moment. You mentioned Sean Edwards there, and kind of the, the, that 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 importance around a coaching role. Did did you ever consider doing the coaching side of it yourself? You know, it's something I I really love um, working with people, and I think it's a great. Like I've been through lots of different coaches, and the most successful ones are the ones that can find the common language, the ability to explain what's in their head in 20 different ways for 20 different players so they all understand exactly what the coach wants them to do. It's it's a very, very um, tough, it's a tough gig. You know, there's 
you know, probably four or five coaching gigs in Ireland. You know, um, you look at, say, the path Ronan has had to carve out to, to end up where he is. Look at the travel he's had to do. Gervin Dempsey, very successful Leinster, gone to Bath and um, recently just left Bath and is uh, coaching in a, in, a, in a school over there now. Um, there's no guarantees with it. I think it's, it's lazy to look at Leo and go, oh, that's the, that's the path he'll have. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 a tough one. I think it, it weighs heavy on a lot of players when they finish. Um, is that something they want to go into and they want to do? Um, I think for me, I had given just under twenty years of my life to professional player, and what I don't say there's any sacrifices in there. There's an awful lot of stuff I missed. Um, you know, I was the best fr- a friend of mine since we were eight in Wexford and I had to pull out of his being best man at his wedding um you know ten days beforehand because of an injury and you're just like you know there's an awful lot to it that you don't um that you don't they, that's not t- taken for granted and while it's a brilliant lifestyle and uh, you know um you know, if, if your job, if you go into the Leinster Academy or something, you take an Irish job and it, and it doesn't work out, you you know, you've, you've taken a career choice now, your next job in Scotland, is it in Italy, is it in New Zealand, young family, there's lots of way up. So I think the, uh, the, the, yeah, the, the only easy decision was to, to not go into coaching. Yeah. And in, in terms of coaches, you did work with, because again, like, I mean, you know, Gatlin, Kidney, um, Joe Schmidt might check it and that kind of thing. Who, who would you say was probably your favourite to work under? Like, that's not yeah. It's not a it's not an easy question to answer because you don't really you don't really you don't really like any of them. Um, because, <laughs> you, you know, until you until you step away from them being your coach, you can kind of figure out do you do you do you like them or do you not like them or do they like you or do they not like you? Hmm. Um, uh, oddly enough, the guy I enjoyed. Probably my rugby the most in there was probably Cariella. Um, you know, and that's why the, the silence there is is deafening. Gary, who? Um, you know, he was a coach. He was coach for about ten months in in, in Leinster. Um, like he did so much for my rugby development and my confidence and everything at a at a at a time which where I was kind of drifting a little bit. Um, so prior to him, um. You know, I'd never play. He was the one who shuffled me into 13 and uh, said, have a little trot there and move me into the centre. Um, mm. So an awful lot to be grateful for him and um, stay in touch with him. He, he's, he's great. Stay in touch with Joe. Um, Mike Ruddock was the guy who thing. So I think it's 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 a very hard one Like um, because I played under so many coaches, but the coach for me, and I've never made any secret about this, is my coach in school was Vinnie Murray. And genuinely, I have yet to meet a coach who was um as tactically astute uh having the human element of being able to deal with players and get the best out of players and um yeah i've rarely come across a coach with his uh all-around uh coaching set you, you mentioned uh, some of the coaches you're still in touch with are you still in touch with many of the the ex-players as well is there a leinster contingent that made up through the 12 pubs every year or anything like that <laughs> Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The thing is, you just remember, like I started playing in '98, so you know the guys I walked into a change room were, you know, uh, Alan, uh, Alan McGowan, um, 
Kieran Clark, Kevin No, like Kevin Nolan, Victor Coslo, Gabriel Fulcher. Like there's a whole cohort of guys there um, that I never, you know, that's um, my friends are playing under twenties and I'm playing with, <laughs> you know, fully fully grown men. Um, and then the next generation is Victor Coslo, Reggie Corrigan, Shane Burns, Malcolm O'Kelly's, you know, the Dennis Hickey's. Um, and then the next generation is kind of, you know, my own generation. Uh, so you go through, like I played through three different decades. So there's a, there is, there is a cohort, um, the, the Women's Auxiliary Balloon Corps that, uh, from Leinster that uh, I would uh, hang out with. Um, so Liam Toland, Peter Coyle, Aidan McCullum, Andy Dunn, Simon Keogh, who else is there? Bob Casey, Mal Kelly. So that kind of guys that around that when I was around 23 to 27, 28 were the kind of bedrock of the, the Leinster team. Trevor Legro going down to Trevor Brennan's pub in um, January um, to, to, well, to say hello to Trevor and to uh, raise a glass to a a friend who passed away, uh, Gary Halpin. Um, so that's going to be fun. It's going to be messy, I'd say, but it'll be fun. Um, so yeah, like you're just like you're very lucky. And then like and then like she's like Rob Carney's getting married uh, very soon. Um, Jamie Heaslip, like these guys that like, you just like you you're so lucky. I'm so lucky to have been involved in the rugby family because it is a family like uh, around the world. You you can meet up with people and, and, and see them and um, everybody is very very gracious with their time uh, when they when you, when you do finish which is a really good thing because when you're in the when you're in the when you're on the wheel it's very hard to see anything but the next step and then when you step away from it there's a whole wealth of experience there from the you know from, from people that have you know been walked that path that you're going to be on and everybody's very good with their time did you know what your next step was going to be, Gordon? At Not a clue. Not a clue. Yeah. Still finding out what they are. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, we, we, we had Jamie Heaslip on a, a good while ago now, but uh, we, we were convinced he was going to end up on Strictly Come Dancing. So uh, there's, there's a whole range of possibilities. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, like the thing is, right, the, the, last, the, the only job I had before I turned professional was I worked in Burger Max in Wexford. Um, so, you know, I worked in Burger Max. I worked in Burger Max in Wexford, and I worked in a ferry car hotel. And then I went to school, and then I turned professional. So I never worked until I was thirty-five. So I'm still trying to find out what I what I want to do. So and I think what what's important is the like I reasonably diligent. I hope I'm able to. I back myself to throw my hat to most things. What I want to do is to try and derive some of the same value that I got from having the best job in the world, which was being a professional athlete. So I just want to be able to go walk away and go, do you know what? That gives me the same, I get the same appreciation, same value from doing whatever that is um, on a day-to-day basis. And I've had lots of jobs and every job helps me get closer to the one that is going to make me really happy. Or really rich. It's, it's, I'm, it's either, either, either is fine. Either is fine. Either one will do the job. That's it. Yeah. Well, Gordon, it's it's been great chatting to you, man. And um, I think you know the the the, the children's book. Uh, it's a great idea and everything else. Uh, any temptation to to make more than three or to try something else in terms of that writing? Uh, no. So like, I think like this is the Gordon's Games series. We've been we have more in the locker. 
Um, so we just, you know, um, we just wanted to see how this has gone, and then we'll we'll have a chat and we'll have a reassess. So we'd like we like we've plenty of like the the juvenile stuff that professional players do. Believe me, there is no end to the amount of stuff that comes up that will come up from from that. So we are excited. And we do hope to do it. We, hope, we do hope to do more. Um, and if we don't, it doesn't really matter because the the like the the messages we get from parents and from uh, kids going, you know, so and so does not really into reading but loves rugby he's read your books and he's read them you know he's read all three of them five times and you're just like going like it's a lovely little thing and i've got three kids but and they're all they've all arrived <laughs> within the three books so they're all in the uh they're all in the dedications so that'll be uh that'll be there and so listen it's 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 so it has just been lovely the gordon's game series has been very good to paul and i and we're extremely proud of them and um I know my mum likes it, so um, that's yeah. kind of good enough for me. That's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bonus. Brilliant. Uh, b- before you go, then, just on, on those juvenile things, is there, a, is there a particular story that wouldn't make the book? Um, do you know, it, 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 and it's been, when we wrote the first book, um, Paul sent me the, the draft, and he said, he, he, he genuinely expected me to come back and say, take that out, take that out, take that out, take that out. <laughs> And I came back and I said, I'm, I've read it and I'm sitting here and I am, like my cheeks are red with embarrassment. And, <laughs> and he said, brilliant. Do you need to change anything? And I said, no. And he went, fantastic. Everything is in there. I uh, honestly, you know, writing south side of my boots, that's in there. Dying my hair blue, that's in there. Like you couldn't script this stuff. Like and I've done it. And the stuff from school as well, like I went around um, putting toothpaste on people's face in the middle of the night and like, yeah, like you really do wonder sometimes. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, funny enough, my mum, I kind of like, uh, with the kids now, every now and then, kind of like, oh, you know, they're very, you know, rambunctious and stuff, kind of looking for a, looking for a soft ear. And my mum turns to me and just goes, don't worry, you were 20 times worse than they ever were. <laughs> Which I immediately then feel sorry for my mum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my, uh, my, my, my brother is a uh, first time, he's his, his little girl is getting to that age now where everything starts being mischievous. Uh, my, my brother was a, a little shit growing up as well. So whenever he says it to my mum like that, looking for a soft ear, her uh, response now is if you're looking for sympathy, you'll find it being shit and syphilis in the dictionary. Look it up. So nice, nice. Uh, Gordon, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. All the best with everything and uh, continued success with George Toyn's column as well. It's been great chatting to you. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Thanks so much. Take it easy. Take care. All the best. Good luck. Bye bye. We must say thank you to Paul Howard for helping us put that one, put that one to bed. Thanks so much, Paul, and thanks to Gordon for his uh, time um, this evening, which um, is very, very much appreciated. Yeah, he's, and, um, he's a great outlook on things, because uh, I think you said it to him about the whole thing about, you know, you talk to some people who they're clinging on to that kind of, that, that professional athlete kind of identity. But he seems at peace. He seems kind of like, ah, I've got a good career, but, you know, it is what it is. I'm good. Yeah. I've got me two monster dogs running around the gaff and I have to make sure they don't break at them. What was the breed of the big dog, Danny? Oh geez, I can't remember what he said actually. Because I'll, I'll need to, I'll need to Google that. Yeah, I'll need to, I'll need to listen. Seventy-eighty kilos. Yeah, big, big old thing. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed that. Um, the, the, 
teenager, teenage me, uh, absolutely fan of now. I can say that much. Yeah, you didn't let me in, which was grand because sometimes you d- you're allowed fan out of, uh, in what we do here. This is it. Look, this is it. I I don't get to indulge in rugby podcasts often, so you know, once in a while, when when one happens to naturally come our way, I am very, very, very enthused about that. Okay. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Thank Gordon. Thank you to Gordon, and again, thanks Paul Howard for helping us out with that. Uh, we're coming up to our Christmas break, lads. Uh, very much looking forward to a little bit of Christmas break. We do have two episodes to go before our Christmas break. Uh, possibly three, possibly three actually. Uh, but if not, we'll be back in January with with a whole host of crack going on. As we said last week, people have asked about the Christmas special. Relax, relax. There will be a Christmas special, lads. Just calm yourselves down. Calm yourselves down. Everybody just needs to take a breather. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Yeah. <sighs> Mero, you've had a long day. I've had a long day. The second half of the United match is coming along. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap this up. We will. So if you want to listen to our previous podcasts, our previous Christmas specials, uh, our previous whatever you can go to any podcast provider and search wts pod i use podcast republic he uses apple podcasts you spotify um, now sorry just apple Podcasts. oh yeah yeah i don't use spotify um for podcasts but anyway I, you can i use spotify and i use uh i use audible as well sometimes for podcasts but yeah, oh i didn't know audible did podcasts very good um you can also go to wtspod.com and um, you can follow us on twitter at wts pod um, Privately, he's at Dan Joe Murray on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Merigamania on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I love you said that privately, as if. <laughs> well, do you know what? Do you know what made me do that? Like, I'm in numerous WhatsApp groups with Gary Mackle, and uh, there there'll be six of us in a WhatsApp group, and uh, he'll just spring up at eight o'clock in the morning or whatever, and he'll say, uh, "Graham, uh, are you available to talk privately today?" He'll do that in a WhatsApp group. He does that in a WhatsApp group with just me and you, mate. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where that came from because that cracks me up. Anyway, Danny, until next time, he's yawning. Clear eyes. Oh, full hearts. Can't lose. Too sweet.